This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Movement Mortgage. Movement provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Founded in 2008, amidst one of the biggest financial meltdowns in American history, Movement set forth on a mission to create a movement of change in their industry, in corporate cultures, and in communities. First, they pioneered a unique approach to home loans centered around helping home buyers quickly and easily. Then they created a model so that a portion of their profit creates a long-term positive impact in communities both close to home and around the globe through the Movement Foundation and Movement Schools. It all comes back to their mission to love and value people. Learn more at movement.com faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. If you sold your home in the past year or two, you probably made a killing. Yet first-time home sellers aren't happy with their results. Hi, I'm Rob West. You've heard of buyer's remorse. Now it seems first-time home sellers have remorse about how their transaction went down. I'll talk about it today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Okay, some interesting results from a new survey by Zillow. If you can believe it, 84% of first-time home sellers said they would like a do-over on the timing, pricing, or marketing of their sales. A full 90% of the 2,000 first-time home sellers surveyed think they could have sold for more money if they'd done things differently. The top four regrets were not pricing the home competitively, not paying attention to curb appeal, trying to time the market, and not doing needed repairs. Let's go over these in case you're planning to put your home on the market this spring, whether you're a first-time home seller or not. Okay, so first is not pricing competitively. You'd think that most sellers would regret pricing their house too low, but pricing too high always causes problems. According to Zillow, a house that's listed at a competitive price will usually sell within 31 days. If your list price is too high, the house will linger on the market for a median of 73 days. That'll cost you money if you have to buy a new house that's increased in value. You could also lose out on getting your dream house if you've picked one out. To avoid this, you have to check out what comparable homes have sold for in the last six months in your neighborhood, and your selling agent will usually do that for you. It's a good idea to listen to your agent's advice on pricing your home, even if you think it's worth more. The second regret was not paying attention to curb appeal. They say you rarely get a second chance to make a first impression. You're likely to get a positive return on money spent to spruce up the front of the house. Invest in things like landscaping, including new flowers and shrubs, or trimming shrubs below the bottom of windows. You want your house to be seen, not hidden behind overgrown greenery. A fresh coat of paint, at least to the front of the house, will probably cost more, but again, it'll make a great first impression. And with so many buyers now looking at homes online, curb appeal extends inside the house as well. If your agent is taking pictures for an online listing, and most do now, you want the house to look clean, tidy, and uncluttered. 
Zillow says that listings on their site get more saves and views if they have virtual three-dimensional home tours with interactive floor plans. Some sellers are now investing in professional and even drone photography to show off their homes. That means that staging is more important than ever, and less is more when it comes to staging furniture. Rooms should only have appropriate items. For example, a bedroom would have a bed, a dresser, small end tables, and maybe a trunk or seat at the foot of the bed. The less furniture, the larger the rooms appear. The next regret mentioned by first-time home sellers was trying to time the market. It doesn't work with stocks and apparently not with houses either. About a quarter of those surveyed said they mistimed the market. Many sold their home and then rented for six months or a year, waiting for home prices to come down before buying their second home. That has happened in some areas, but certainly not all. And in the meantime, mortgage interest rates went up significantly. So those folks were not only out the rent money, they're now paying more in interest with a new mortgage. Another note about timing, you certainly don't want to sell your primary residence if you haven't lived there for at least two years. Otherwise, you'll be subject to capital gains tax. The last major regret was not making necessary repairs, and these weren't major projects like a new kitchen or roof, which usually don't pay off at the closing table. According to Zillow, smaller ticket items like interior painting, carpet cleaning, and landscaping will usually pay for themselves. Now, I want to mention something about real estate agents. It's true that you can eliminate a 6 or 7% commission by selling your home yourself. That's if you list the house at the appropriate price and successfully navigate through all the potential snags that can happen when you sell a house. But you very often get your money's worth and possibly more by having a knowledgeable agent who knows your market. Proverbs 16, 16 reads, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. All right, your calls are next. The number, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Stick around. We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com slash faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. What if buying groceries, gas, or dining out could help change lives? With Christian Community Credit Union's Cards That Give to Missions, you can help spread the gospel, combat human trafficking, and protect vulnerable children with every purchase at no cost to you. Apply for your card today. More information is available at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. The Credit Union is an underwriter of this ministry. Membership eligibility required. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. 
A quick email before we head back to the phones. These come into us every day at Faith, uh, excuse me, askrob at faithfi.com. This one comes from a listener in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, He writes, on a recent show, I believe I heard it said that those of us who took our Social Security payments early at 62 would receive the money we lost back when we reached full retirement age. Is this true? And is it something I need to do or is it automatic? And I'm afraid uh, to our listener here, you're uh, confusing two different uh, Social Security provisions. Uh, First of all, if you take your benefits at 62, which it sounds like you did, they are permanently reduced for uh, by 8% for each year you took those benefits prior to full retirement age. So 62 versus 66 and a half, you're going to see about a 32% reduction. And that is permanent. That will not be repaid to you. What you're probably referring to um, is there is a provision that says if your benefits are reduced because you took your benefits prior to full retirement age and you went above the earnings limit, there's a cap until you reach full retirement age of around $21,000 that you can earn. And if you go above that, you earn more than that in your combined income, you'll have your benefit reduced by a dollar for every $2 you go above that limit. Well, in that case, when you get to full retirement age, that amount will be repaid to you over time in the form of a higher check until it's fully uh, paid back to you. That's different from the permanent reduction that occurred when you started taking those benefits at 62. So hopefully that clears it up. The reduction from earning over the cap, that is repaid. The reduction that's locked in because you took it early, that will not be repaid. Thanks for writing to us. Again, if you have a question you'd like read on the air, ask Rob at faithfi. Dot com. All right, let's go to the phones, 800-525-7000. We've got a few lines open uh, to Florida. Hi, Diana. Go right ahead. Um, yes, hello. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me sure. fine? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. So I'm not certain um, if you can address this question, but it has to do with um, with uh, payroll question. I just received... Um, notification that my due to a job restructuring there would be a change in position title and salary but with the new salary being offered my education and experience is not being taken into consideration they are starting like all employees over at the minimum so i don't know if this is the minimum salary for the new pay grade and I, I don't know if if you can perhaps direct me to a resource that can address this if you can't. Well, uh, you know, they're they're certainly uh, will you know able to do that in the sense that they've reassigned you. Is that right? So the position you've got, you didn't ask for. They've reassigned you within the company. Is that right? They've just they've reclassified or the pay uh, the title of the position and increased okay. the pay grade. Okay, but the pay grade is based on the uh, experience and and skill set and training that you have for that particular job. Is that right? Um, the pay you grade it, is went up. Correct, but the ahead. pay the position calls for a bachelor's, and I have a higher degree and seven years experience. But what I'm being told is that I would start back at the minimum, which requires just a bachelor's degree. I see. Okay. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they're entitled to do that. It doesn't mean you have to accept that. So I think, you know, perhaps your next step is to meet with your um, superior and just let this person know that, uh, you know, you're willing to accept this new position, but you want to uh, let them know about the experience you have and the the educational background that you have and what value you can bring to the organization in light of that and that you'd like to request that your salary be set higher uh, to really acknowledge this prior training and experience that you have. Now, they may be unwilling to do that. Uh, the good news is here, Diana, if you're unsatisfied with the way they've handled this reclassification and where they've started you in terms of the pay grade for this position uh, at an entry level, when you're not that, clearly, based on your experience and training, uh, this is a really strong labor market. In fact, incredibly strong. The latest data says there's two jobs open right now for every person looking for a job, which just gives you some indication of how desperate a lot of employers are for good, high-quality workers that have experience and training. And so this may be the opportunity to either let that person know who um, you would report to in your in your new position, uh, and they may be eager to hang on to your skill set and, and be willing to offer you higher pay, or it may be time to freshen up that resume and just see what else is out there because you will find there are a lot of open positions and perhaps you might find one that you're better suited for with more pay. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, but there's nothing legally wrong with, with what they're doing. No, I mean, you could certainly talk to an attorney. I am not one, but I, you know, they're basically free to do what they want in terms of how they reclassify your position. And, you know, they can change the pay grades and uh, basically uh, bring you in, uh, you know, at whatever level they deem appropriate, as long as they're applying that consistently across the board. So I don't think you'd have any ability to reject that legally, uh, apart from appealing for their desire to hold on to you because of your contribution to the organization and to keep you from leaving and moving to another organization and finding another job. Um, but obviously, if you'd like to get some legal counsel, you could certainly do that just to explore this a bit further. We uh, hope the best for you, Diana, as you explore this and sorry to hear about your situation. Uh, let's move along to, uh, well, actually, we'll stay in Florida. Hi, Marianne. Go right ahead. Hi, Rob. Thank you for taking my call. I sure. listen to you daily and I appreciate your ministry. Well, thank you. Uh, Something happened to me today that's a little crazy in my mind. I had invested my Roth IRA back in 2016, and today I received my check for the... I cashed it in, okay? But when they sent it to me, it was an IRA, Roth IRA investment. They sent me the check. It's like $89,000 and some change, and they didn't mark the check IRA. And I wanted to reinvest with someone as an IRA, but I I talked to another bank today. I don't know if I should say the name of the bank, so I won't. And they told me that if it's not marked IRA, it's not valid. Should I ask? the investment life insurance company to reissue me another check or what do, what do I do from here? Yeah. Well, one option would be when you take that money out of that IRA, you have 60 days to put it back in. 
And if you were to call, have called me prior to asking for this distribution, I would have said, don't do, don't ask them to send you a check, leave it right there. Let's open a new Roth IRA at whatever new institution you want to be at. And then let's initiate a, a rollover, uh, essentially a transfer so that the IRA money goes directly from the current institution to the new institution, not through you. Um, at the end of the day, you would be able to provide documentation of the IRS, but I'd rather it not flow through your accounts. So I'd probably, if it were me, call the institution that sent it to you and ask if you can put it back in because you're within the 60 days. And once it goes back in, then you'd open that new Roth and transfer it. And that way there would be no question as to the fact that this is going Roth IRA to Roth IRA, as opposed to going Roth IRA to you and then into your checking account and then out to the new institution. Uh, I've got to hit a quick break here, Marianne, but we'll talk a bit more off the air and just make sure you're comfortable with that and don't have any other questions. We'll be right back on Faith and Finance. Every day, FaithFi is working to meet people right where they are. Through our national radio program, app, and website, we're helping people put their faith in God and not in money and possessions. And we're encouraging and equipping Christians to have a passionate pursuit for sacrificially living and giving the money entrusted to them. If you believe in and have benefited from FaithFi, would you consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron? Learn more about the FaithFi patrons' membership at faithfi.com and click Give. Hey, Greg, I need some advice. Oh, what's up? I'm really struggling with finding ways to cut back. With costs going up, especially in healthcare, what do you guys do? Oh, uh, we use CHM, Christian Healthcare Ministries. It's a health cost sharing ministry that's been sharing members' eligible medical bills for over 40 years. Sure helped us stick to our budget. Hmm. Uh, here's the website chministries.org. C-A-C-H-Ministries.org. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. Uh, to Tennessee, hey, Mickey, go right ahead. Hey, Rob, uh, I just wanted to say um, you, other than Mr. Burkett, you are the mm-hmm. only one that I've ever listened to on the radio that told the truth about mm-hmm. giving. Oh, wow. You know, especially dealing with tithes. Uh, We try to teach people you don't pay your tithes. You pay a power bill, you pay a water bill, a house payment, and you don't like doing that. But when you do like y'all say and learn what the true meaning of giving is all about, it changes Mm. your life. Mm. I mean, you and Mr. Burkett are the only two people that (laughs) I've listened to on the radio, and I listen to you religiously daily. Because I know I'm going to get the truth, and I'm going to get the true meaning. And I just want you to know, I really appreciate you being the man of God you are and teaching people the true meaning of giving. And I would challenge anybody out there, take three months and take and learn what the meaning of giving is and, and see if it don't change your life. I mean, it will. Instead of paying your tithes at church, start giving. Just give it and learn what the true meaning of giving is that y'all teach. And it's just unbelievable. And I just wanted to say thank you for being the man of God you are. 
Well, Mickey, let me just tell you, that means so much what you just said. And to be in the company, uh, to have my name voiced in the company of Larry Burkett's means a lot to me because I had the utmost respect for, for Larry and his kind heart and his incredible wisdom and his dependence on God's word. Uh, there's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't still, and he passed away in 03, uh, mention Larry's name, which just tells you the impact that he has had and will continue to have in so many lives for all of eternity. And I I appreciate you bringing up uh, generosity. You know, I would submit to you that most teaching around money, even in, in Christian circles, starts with the idea that we're to provide for our families. And that's clearly biblical. I mean, we could point to a passage in First Timothy. If you don't provide for your uh, family and, you know, your relatives, you're worse than an unbeliever. And, and certainly we are to provide. But I would submit that the primary uh, reason that God entrusts to us is to be a part of his grand story through our giving. And we need to be holding what we have loosely. It breaks the grip of money over our lives, and it allows us to be participants in what God is doing, uh, not only in the people on our path and in our communities, but literally around the globe and certainly in our local church. And I think in many cases, we've got that wrong, and we need to be asking the question, how much should I keep, not how much should I give? And clearly, you've seen uh, the fruit of that, Mickey, in your life. Uh, Let me just ask you, what has um, been most meaningful to you in your own giving journey? What has the Lord done in your life through that? Well, uh, when I I would say 20 years ago, uh, I was at church and the pastor was talking about uh, a family. His wife had to be taken to the hospital and she had uh, five kids, five babies. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, place where he had his car financed, he was a day late getting to make his payment and they took his car away from him. And mm-hmm. so we had a car, an extra one, and it was just like the Lord said, give it to him. And so yeah. I did, I gave it to him and I, mm-hmm. I was so happy to do it. <laughs> and wow. to this day, I've never paid over three payments on a car. I mean, we bought a car and paid the second payment and started to pay the third one. And I got the title in the mail and I mm. called them and I said, Hey, what's going on here? I'm fixing to send my third payment. Said They said, Mr. Atkinson, your car has been paid off. We sent you the title. Mm. And I said, who done it? They said, we don't know. We just got the check and processed it. Wow. wow. And that's happened time and time again, just because. You learn to give. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't outgive God. And we see that time and time again. And his promises are real. And he said he would provide for us. And I think ultimately he's always been about our hearts, Mickey, hasn't he? And one of the ways we work out our our faith is our daily dependence on him. And I think a lot of that has to do with our willingness to hold what he's entrusted to us loosely and give it generously. And giving is the good life. You know, what you've experienced by being willing to follow the leading of the Lord in giving to the people in need, even when perhaps it's you've felt it and it's hurt a little bit and you didn't know where the next, you know, whatever was going to come from for your own family and you did it and responded 
responded to the Lord, and he just continues to show himself faithful over and over again. And uh, boy, it's just a, it's a joy and it's a privilege to be partnered with God in that way. Well, my friend, I'm so grateful for your call today, for your, uh, your kind heart, your just willingness to be vulnerable and transparent here. And I know what you've shared today has been an encouragement to our listeners. So thank you very much, Mickey, for calling and may God bless you and call back anytime. Uh, let's finish up today in Ohio. Sue, you'll be our final caller. Go ahead. I have a question for you, and it deals with Social Security. The question, the true question is, how secure is it? I want to wait until full retirement age to take yeah. my Social Security, but my mind, I mean, you listen to people and things, and you read things, and you're not sure if it's going to be here, then something says it will. So that's about five years out for me personally. And I'm just wondering if you have any insight on Social Security and its security. Yeah. Well, the latest report uh, from the Congressional Research Service says that the Social Security trustees project that the Social Security Trust Fund uh, will be depleted by 2035, uh, which means that uh, the trust fund would be insolvent at that point. Now, does that mean it can't pay any benefits if nothing changes? No, it would be able to pay, I think the latest estimates are about 70% of the current benefit. And so there will be changes. In fact, the, the conversation have already started. What it's probably going to look like, if I were to guess, and you're going to hear more about this in the days ahead, it's probably going to look like the uh, new full retirement age not being 66 and a half, but 70. And it's probably going to look like Social Security taxes, payroll taxes increasing. And the combination of those two will allow them to maintain the full benefits. We just have less workers. We have a real long-term demographics problem here uh, in this country, and it's going to have to be solved by uh, workers working longer and higher taxes, among other things. So I would still, if I were you and you have the ability to delay taking it because you're working longer or you have you know other income sources, uh, I would still delay it and maximize that benefit. So that's just my perspective. Obviously, it all remains to be seen, but that's at least the best information I can give you at this point. So thank you for your call, Sue. We appreciate it. Well, folks, I'm just still thinking about what Mickey shared today about you know, giving and our ability to give generously and what God does in our hearts when we do that. And I hope that was an encouragement to you today. I know it was for me as well. On behalf of my team today, Gabby T., Amy Rios, Dan Anderson, Robert Sutherland, I'm Rob West. I hope you'll make plans to join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.